Hey, Chris, can you rhyme crime with mind? Hmm. You can get away with it. How are you using them? In a rap song. You're writing a rap song. I'm writing many rap songs. <laughs> I think that's called an album. Actually, it's called a musical. I was so inspired by Hamilton, I decided to write a show about another of history's unsung heroes. Frederick Douglass? Eleanor Roosevelt? Walter Mondale? Even worse, Richard M. Nixon. Los Angeles, California, it's High On Film! Tonight, we've got Carly Walsh and Hamilton. If you don't know, now you know, Mr. President, on tonight's episode. Welcome to a very exciting episode of High on Film. I'm Chris Maxwell, your host, and today we are covering the live recording of a composite of shows from the Great White Way, edited together with a cinematic sensibility and presented to the public last year, a little earlier than originally planned, as a little pandemic treat for us all. Yes, that's right, we're talking about Hamilton. From the Year of Our Lord 2020, directed by Thomas Kale, written by Lin-Manuel Miranda, inspired by the book Alexander Hamilton by Ron Chernow. How about that? Welcome to the show. High on film. We have fun with movies, but it's ultimately sobering talk about film is really what we do here. As always, there is a man who's virtually right to my left. He used to be physically right to my left, but we do these virtual now. And you know him as the co-host from the couch, the podcaster of disaster, and the Brad Davis that God gave us, my co-host and friend, Brad Davis. Hey, Chris. Hey, Brad. How's it going? It's going very well, sir. How are you? Oh, I am great. I was so excited to watch this again. This was probably my fourth viewing of the Disney Plus recorded from Broadway, the original cast of Hamilton, and pieced together into a live performance that very much mimics a, a true Hollywood movie in the way it's edited and shot. Yeah, this is probably my seventh time watching it. Boom. I mean, I, I've seen it quite a bit. I mean, obviously, uh, being with COVID and everything, there was plenty of opportunities and it was something that made me very happy. So uh, in a very sad time. So it was something nice to fall back on. Um but yeah, it's, I mean, it was my second favorite movie of the year. I was about to say, on your top 10 of 2020 list, yep, you had it high, high up. A uh, very unconventional film. For sure. But man, oh man, did I just, the first time I watched it, uh, I was blown away. Like, I, I had seen it live. I, not, not with the original cast, but, and I had listened to the, to the soundtrack quite a bit, but I still was not prepared for it just how much it was going to affect me. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. I uh, I saw it live as well in Chicago with the touring cast, and it was pretty damn good. I mean, I'm underselling it. It was phenomenal. Yeah. But having watched the original cast, uh, notably Leslie Odom Jr. and David Diggs for me, they, were, they blew me away. Uh, and I really, really was uh, very pleased to have this experience available to us for the low, low price of 
signing your soul away for $5 a month to the Walt Disney Corporation. Wee! <laughs> well, regular High On Film listeners will know that we always have a guest. No show is complete without one. And, boy, for this episode, we pulled out all the stops. For her umpteenth yeah. High On Film <laughs> appearance. I don't, I don't count them anymore. I don't, I don't care. The old age, there's a bunch of them. You can check out all her wonderful, wonderful episodes. She is a staple to this podcast. It's Miss Carly Walsh. Hey, gents. How you doing? Oh, Carly, doing fantastic. So excited to have you back on the pod. So excited to be here. And Especially talking about Hamilton. I was going to say, you very much enjoy this show, don't you? I, you could say I enjoy it a little bit. Now, if I've I mean, I, lo- it- I love it. <laughs> <laughs> If I've seen it four times, Brad's seen it seven times, I imagine you have to have a few more on Brad, even though, I guess, spoiler alert a little bit, you live together. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if I've seen it more than Brad or pretty much the exact same amount, but I know the first week that it came out, I watched it three times in two days. (laughs) Wow. So I feel like maybe I have more, but I'm not sure. Excellent. Well, I am so happy to have someone of your expertise uh, about this show on this podcast. Uh, and we should note we're doing this not only, I mean, this came out a year ago on Disney Plus. So you're like, guys, this is old news. Why are you talking about Hamilton now? And that's because Lynn Manuel Miranda's previous musical is now being made into a movie, has been made into a movie, and is coming out in theaters. Theaters are open. If you're vaccinated, go and see In the Heights. And Carly, you're also pretty well acquainted with that show, are you not? Yes, I um, I love the music of In the Heights. I've never seen it live, so I'm very excited to see the movie. But I am very well acquainted with the music and just, just love the story of it. I love uh, the way that he looks at New York and the way that he looks at diff- different underrepresented neighborhoods that speak to him and speak to speak to community it's it's a really really cool musical i'm very excited to see it and i'm excited for everybody to see it <laughs> yeah brad you uh you looking forward to seeing in the heights here absolutely i i mean I, i'm certainly not on the level i was when i knew hamilton was coming with the original cast but <laughs> carly has uh i've listened to some of in the heights music just because she's such a huge fan of it which is exactly how I started listening to Hamilton for the first time too, because she was such a huge fan of it. And fortunately uh, that paid dividends as far as loving these projects so much. So I'm very excited for in the Heights. I think it's um, uh, you know, especially I'm planning to see it in a movie theater, which I haven't seen anything in a movie theater in over a year, uh, you know, 15 months or something. So I'm very excited. That is enough about in the Heights. We are here to talk about, Hamilton. So, if you're one of the people who wasn't able to see it on Broadway and don't subscribe to Disney Plus, so, you know, or don't get someone else's password to get Disney Plus and watch Hamilton, if you haven't done that, or maybe you did that last year when it first came out and just need a little reminder about Hamilton and, and what goes on in, in the life of Alexander Hamilton and this musical, Brad and I have prepared a little trailer that goes a little something like this. In a world where a bastard, orphan, son of a whore, and a Scotsman can transcend his got milk commercial fame. Oh, do whatever you want, I'm super dead. Enough. 
Alexander Hamilton will immigrate to America and rap his way through the American Revolution. Oh, am I talking too loud? Sometimes I get overexcited. Shoot off at the mouth. I never had a group of friends before. I promise that I'll make y'all proud. But even someone as smart as Hamilton can't avoid the trappings of American politics, infidelity, extortion, and murderous rivalries. The revolution's imminent. What do you stand for? If you stand for nothing, girl, what will you fall for? See the life of the unsung founding father through the eyes of his greatest frenemy, Aaron Burr. While we're talking, let me offer you some free advice. Talk less. What? Smile more. Huh. Don't let them know what you're against or what you're for. The hit Broadway show comes to the small screen for the low, low price of a monthly subscription service. Imagine what go happen when you try to tax our whiskey. Thank you, Secretary Jefferson. <laughs> and the stars of your favorite currency come alive as George Washington and Thomas Jefferson sing and dance their way out of the history books and into your hearts. Walt Disney Pictures presents something that is not Star Wars, Marvel, or Pixar. Excuse me, miss, I know it's not funny, but your curfew smells like your daddy's got money. Featuring Tony winners Leslie Odom Jr., Renee Elise Goldsberry, David Diggs, and Lynn manuel Miranda. He seems approachable. Like you could grab a beer with him. An American musical. Hamilton. Oh, what an invigorating musical. That's, uh, I recommend it. It's very fun. And you get a nice little dose of history, which, you know, you don't get that from every musical. That's true. And now it's time for trash. Star. Destroy. We should encourage more guests to mime along. With the, I uh, would love that. Effects. That was, that <laughs> was so entertaining. Carly, great job there. You got extra <laughs> points, even though we got rid of the points a long time oh, ago. God. There we go. Mark down. As long as I get the points, that's all that you I got. About. <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, for me, I think there is no better performance in Hamilton than Mr. Aaron Burr, sir. Mr. Leslie Odom Jr. So let's start Trash Star Destroy off with maybe the rules before I jump into the category. <laughs> because sure. not everyone listening maybe knows the rules. Good instinct. Good instincts. Jumping ahead. Yep. Yep. Trash Star Destroy, guys. This is our first segment. Some say America's favorite podcast game. Some. It, it's whispered in shadows. Uh, we give you three movies of a similar ilk and ask you to make the hard decisions. One movie you must trash, which means it's eliminated from existence. One movie you get to star in in whatever role you'd like to take for yourself. And of course, then the third movie then must be destroyed. 
which means that the only version of that film has been both written and directed by Mr. Michael Bay of Bad Boys 2 fame. So, as I was saying, Leslie Odom Jr., Mr. Aaron Burr, sir, fantastic performance. Uh, without spoiling any best scenes, I think he is phenomenal. Uh, a voice that can melt butter. Uh, and let us he's had uh, a nice little blossoming film career since he was on the Broadway stage. So let's do three Leslie Odom Jr. movies. We'll do the film adaptation we just watched, Hamilton. We will do the Kenneth Branagh Murder on the Orient Express. And the third movie, Regina King's Oscar snub, One Night in Miami. Hamilton, Murder on the Orient Express and One Night in Miami, Trash Star Destroy. I can kick it off. Uh, I am starring in Hamilton, 1000%. And I loved One Night in Miami. Absolutely loved it. Also in my top 10 of the year, but I have to start in Hamilton. Um, and I think I have to take the Lin-Manuel. For, I have to be Hamilton, I think. Um, cool. I mean, I, I could pick something, you know, pick a role a little more minimal. Uh, but to my sh- to be able to perform my shot and a couple of like the, the rap uh, the cabinet battles and all that, it would be uh, one of the coolest things ever. So I really can't pass up that opportunity as a huge fan of rap and hip hop. Um, so that I'm taking the role of Alexander Hamilton. Sorry, Lynn, you're just going to win all the Tonys for writing such a brilliant piece of work. Um, then I guess I have to trash one night in Miami. Uh, unfortunately, it's Regina King does a brilliant directing job the performances of the four main the four leads is awesome but there's no way that movie is worthwhile with michael bay directing it i wouldn't even want to see that so uh so i trashed that and then murder on the orient express enjoyed the uh enjoyed the remake uh probably still like the original a little more though i'm more of a death on the nile person which uh, I was looking yeah, for you want to sidebar this conversation about death on the Nile. <laughs> I was uh, Gal Gadot and uh, the army hammer. Oh, I, I was looking forward to it. The original one with Peter Ustinov as, as Poirot is pretty great. I recommend people, if you can find it, that's a, that's a fun one. Um, but I'm going to give it to Michael Bay. It's a murder mystery. Uh, that's not a bad fit for him. Um, so I, I think it it's on a train. That's makes sense for him. So that's what I'm doing. I'm destroying it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I think I'm kind of doing the same thing. I'm not going to be Alexander Hamilton, but I am going to star in Hamilton. Um, Shocking. <laughs> the, the problem that I have in choosing a role is I really can't take away from Angelica and Eliza. Like, I, I wouldn't necessarily be able to add anything to either of those roles. And Peggy. And so, well, see, that's where it comes in. Because I think I would take the role of Peggy because there's a little bit more, like, comedy that you can do in the beginning as Peggy and then when she goes into Miranda Reynolds. I, th- I, think, I, could, I, could, I think I could seduce a person. I, you know, it's not necessarily what I'm known for, but... Um, but I think, I I think I could do a little sexy song. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Mm-hmm. So I think I'd take that role. And then, yeah, I would, you know, I'd have to give Murder on the Orient Express, even though I've never seen it. Um, I'd have to give that to Michael Bay because the one thing that we really don't need is a straight white man uh, directing a movie about racial injustice. So yes, I, th- I think I think maybe just get rid of One Night in Miami and wait until there is a time where that can come back. Um, so that's probably what I would do. Now, what I'm thinking is that maybe if Michael Bay is writing and directing One Night in Miami, it's not necessarily about racial injustice, but it's more about Cassius Clay and Joe Lewis and oh, that is true. Muhammad Ali and, and Sam Cooke kind of hanging out together, probably getting into some trouble or something. We're probably spending more time on sports. Um, not that that's a good thing or the right decision. I'm just saying that maybe it's an interesting decision. Yeah. I I mean, I didn't want to be predictable and do the same, but let me just talk through this a little. Because I thought about maybe being in Murder on the Orient Express. You get to be with a lot of cool actors. So you get to work with so many awesome people. Not really a part for me, though, unless I want to maybe, like, I could kick out Johnny Depp. Oh, that would be nice. Yeah. But do I want to be in this movie? I'm not a big Murder on the Orient Express fan either version the end kind of kind of irks me a little i can't get over how it ends no spoilers here so i think i have to be in hamilton especially if i'm in hamilton it's this version so that means i'm with the original cast and And the two of us and the two of you guys (laughs) and i think well this will be fun because brad you and i will get a scene together then because i think i'm gonna be the British guy in Farmer Refuted that gets to do the lines concurrently with Hamilton yeah. as he tries to sway people out of revolting and Hamilton says, no, no, we should start our own country. Good choice. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, like I, I would have gone bigger, but I was like, oh, I want to work with these people. I think it'd be really fun and just to be a small yeah. role. Uh, and I get to do a few things in there. I get to be like... Um, I think I think he's a doctor in the final battle as well. That guy, I don't. Yeah, I didn't he's bother the, looking up his name. Yeah, he's the doctor on site. Yeah. So I get to turn away from the whole climax. That'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. And then from there, I, I think I think I'm gonna do what I said. I think I'm gonna give Michael Bay one night in Miami, and just see where that goes. And it's probably the majority of the movie is at the Cassius Clay fight, and you see the three guys in the audience kind of talking, probably. And then. Murder on the Express, Orient Express. Sorry, Kenneth. It's out. Trashed. He'll, he'll be all right. Yeah, I think he'll be fine. Rolling in that tenant money. Yeah, he's had other. He's had a few other movies. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. We got time for one more trash to destroy. Who am I kidding? Let's do a category. Well, let's do this category. Hamilton won the Tony for best musical. As well as winning, uh, I should have wrote down the exact number, but at least I think it was 11. eleven other Tonys. I think yeah. it was eleven total. So, and now it's been made into a movie. So let's do three movies that were adapted from best musical Tony Award winners that also garnered at least eleven other Tonys. There's a couple, but the three we will do will be from the musical La Cage aux Folles. We won't do the French film like Cajafol. I haven't seen it, regretfully. It's, it's, I'll, I'll amend that eventually. It's, it's great. 
I don't doubt it. The French have a long tradition of like, or like two decades of making great comedic films and then America turning around and making them into sometimes great, sometimes terrible American films. In this, in this case, great. Yeah. And say like in your uh, beloved Dinner for Schmucks. Ah, love it. <laughs> Originally a French film. <laughs> I know. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so glad that came around from this podcast. <laughs> Guys, Carly loves Dinner for Schmucks. I hate it. Brad, <laughs> I don't know what Brad stands, at, stands anymore. <laughs> I don't really like it. Yeah, okay. Uh, so anyway, La Cage Full, the American remake we will use for Trash Out Destroy, The Birdcage. The 1972 uh, Best Picture winner. No, not Best Picture winner. Cabaret. Yeah, a little, a little movie called The Godfather won that That's year. right. That's right. I couldn't remember if that was 72 or 74. <laughs> yeah. And the third movie in this messy, messy introduction is the the Mel Brooks movie, The Producers. Although we will do the 05 version with Matthew Broderick and Nathan Lane and Will Ferrell, not the Yule Brenner, Gene Wilder version. So, The Birdcage, Cabaret, The Producers. Trash, star, destroy. Again, this is easy for me. I'm starting. Easy. Okay. I'm starting the Birdcage. Birdcage is one of my favorite comedies of all time. Um, and I, what's his name? Dan. I can't think of his la- actor's last name. I'm playing the son. Uh, the role of the son of uh, Nathan Lane and Robin Williams' son, who's kind of a dickhead in the movie, but nonetheless, um, it's a to just be acting with Robin Williams and Nathan Lane throughout that movie. And then Gene Hackman and Diane Weist and Calista Flockhart, Flockhart, Hank Azaria. I mean that it's, I love that movie. And that's a role that's easy for me to take and just basically be surrounded by all this ridiculous talent. Um, So, and you get to work with Mike Nichols. Also true. Yeah. And it's uh, Dan Futterman. I don't know how you forgot that name. Futterman. Futterman. I was I almost said <laughs> Fetterman and I was like, no, oh. it's not that. Um it's Futterman. Uh so yes, I would take the role of the Dan Futterman role. Sorry, dude. Uh, but that's an easy choice for me. Uh and then Cabaret were producers. Hmm. I guess I'm gonna give producers to Michael Bay. Um, I think that's something that's a little i feel like cabaret he just won't it, it, it it'll really downplay that downgrade that movie in a huge way and uh that's just not something for him producers is a little lighter a little easier i think for michael bay to do without totally totally ruining it ruining it so producers goes to bay and i'm trashing cabaret it rhymed Man, that's like exactly what I was going to do. <laughs> We're on the same. Because I would take the, I would take the Callista Flockhart role, so that I could work with Robin Williams, mm. Nathan Lane. I mean, everybody. But I'd, I'd take that role. I can do that. Well, it kind of works out um, perfectly for us then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but I don't want to be so predictable. So now I'm trying to figure out if Michael Bay could do cabaret and what that would look like. It would be interesting. (laughs) Yeah. I'm... I'm going to do it. I'm going to give Michael Bay cabaret, even though I think it's a terrible idea. Um, 
But if he's writing and directing it, just like Chris said about uh, One Night in Miami. One Night in Miami, there you go. Uh, <laughs> then, yeah, I think he'd make it his own. He'd make it whatever he wanted that sort of brothel to be or that burlesque cabaret show to be. Um, yeah, and so I guess I'm getting rid of the producers then. Mm. Come here, the music Which play. I'm bummed about. Mm-hmm. Michael Bay's cabaret. Ah, uh, boy, I you know it's funny listening to you guys go through this. I really was kind of afraid of this one because I thought it was going to be really hard, only because I think I could easily star in all three of these. And you're so talented, like any yeah, true that's, that's egoist. A cocky. Well, yeah, no, but I'm saying like any true egoist, I I really would love to be in any one of these three musicals or movies. And, and that, that's what makes it hard because I think I, boy, I think I have to be in Cabaret. I think that's my favorite of all three as much as I'm probably doing myself a disservice choosing a more serious role than the two fairly broad comedies, increasingly broad comedies that are left. Um, but I think I'm going to take the Michael York role in Cabaret. Uh, and just be in what I think is one of the best movies of all time. So that's what I'm going to do. You think Cabaret is one of the best movies of all time? Uh, yeah, I'd probably put it up in the top. It's pretty great. Twenty five. Wow. All time. Okay. Wow. I didn't yeah. know that. I mean, I didn't. Yeah. I knew you liked it a lot. I didn't realize you put it that high. Yeah, I've I watched it for the first time only like uh, within five years, and since then I've watched it two more times and. I, I am just bowled over by that movie from start to finish. It's it's phenomenal. Then I think, yeah, it's hard for me to pass up giving Michael Bay the producers because there's just something so chef's kiss about Michael Bay doing a musical about people doing a musical set to fail just to make some cash uh, and having no real artistic vision for it. So sure. I think that's just asking uh, yeah. for the Bay treatment. And then unfortunately... Only only La Cage à Fall in, in en Francais exists for trash in the birdcage. Sorry to Robin Williams. Sorry, that's that unbelievable Robin Williams performance. Yes. Yeah. It really and Nathan is. Lane and Hank Azaria and yeah. everybody else. Yeah. Christine Baranski. Oh, good call. I so forgot fun. to so call good. out yeah. Christine Baranski. She's so funny in that movie. So there it is, guys. That's Trash Star Destroy for another week. How about that? I love it. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more Carly Walsh, more Hamilton, and more High on Film, right after this. Did a love of historical musical theater awaken inside of you after seeing Hamilton? Then see the film adaptation of the other revolutionary musical, 1776. While the country teeters on the brink of independence, this entire show takes place in the room where it happens. That's right, three hours with the Continental Congress. No diversity, no hip-hop, but plenty of non-hits like Sit Down, John, Piddle Twiddle and Resolve, and The Lees of Old Virginia, a joyful romp about returning home to Virginia not sung by Thomas Jefferson. Starring Boy Meets World's Mr. Feeney, William Daniels as John Adams, watch as the forefathers drag their feet on declaring independence. The award-winning musical comes to the screen, 1776. And we're back high on film, right in the middle of Hamilton, talking about the 
filmed adaptation of the Broadway show here with Carly Walsh today. And now we're digging our heels in. So, please. Spoilers. I mean, we should have said this at the top, but maybe we shouldn't because this is episode 200 and something something. There's spoilers throughout all the show, so just come in prepared. But especially now, because we're about to do a ranking of the best and worst scenes of the film. Of course, again, if you're a regular listener, you know this already, we're an optimistic podcast, so we're going to start things off optimistically with... Best scene. We'll start with number three. Best scenes. What do we got for number three? Best scene number three for me. This is very hard. Um, A. I chose something that actually occurs three times in the musical, mm. but it is... A- it is a very similar scene throughout. So I chose the three King George songs as one of my, as my third ranked best scene. I like um, that. It's what got me into the musical. The first time I heard one of his songs, I fell in love with it and just wanted to know every single lyric to it. I love really upbeat, but incredibly dark songs. And so it, it got me from the get go. Um, and still, whenever I watch uh, Jonathan Groff sing and be that c- character, it is hilarious and terrifying at the same time. I just love it. Yeah, he's got a great psycho look in his eyes. And there was like almost like a little bit of like a legend about this show when it was still on Broadway before this came out that like if you were sitting in the front rows, you could see him spit and slobber and just look like a rage rabid psychopath and you can i mean the movie absolutely captures that and it's it's hilariously crazy it's it's really good especially when he's singing i will kill your friends and family to remind you of my love in a very upbeat psychopath way and he was nominated for a best supporting actor tony and he has a total of nine minutes on stage the Mm. entire thing thing like it's or 12 minutes or something it's it's crazy it's such a small role but he makes such an impact with it yeah and he gets to tell people at the very beginning to turn off your cell phones or whatever too yep that was a nice little easter egg that we got to see from the performance <laughs> the, yeah the physicality of his performance he almost goes into like a almost a ventriloquist ventriloquist dummy mode mm. at a certain point with his like la, when he's doing the la 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 la's and all that it's it's phenomenal yeah, with the rest of the body so still and his jaw like unhinged to do. Yep. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a good point. That's I like that. Brad, you got a number three. Um, boy, it's tough because there's other, there's probably other songs that maybe I even like more than my number three, but I do have to give credit to the cabinet battles because I think doing cabinet battles as a rap battle is fucking brilliant the first time i heard hamilton and like and i was kind of like oh this is you know a rap musical and when they got to the cabinet battles i was like holy shit that's brilliant to have those play out that way it's like a classic rap battle but now we're we're into this you know discussing things in is such a such a cool idea and was such a uh kind of like carly was saying with the king george stuff was like kind of how the first thing she loved about hamilton I mean, other than uh, the first song, the Alexander Hamilton (laughs) song, that and the cabinet battles were the first two things where I was like, holy shit, I think I might love this. 
So credit where credit's due, Cabinet Battles is um, it was awesome, and I just loved it. And I think it's such a brilliant device. Not, not to put you too much on the spot here, and if I am, we can cut it, but do you have a favorite line or two from any of the cabinet battles? Um, uh, the first one is the best. Uh, I don't have a line off the top of my head. I, I do love... Um, well, you were getting high. you do in Monticello. Yeah, well, yeah, when he's... Uh, yeah, well, you were getting high with the French. Um, and I love... Uh, Lin Manuel, uh, Alexander Hamilton after Jeff after Jefferson goes, then he just kind of like takes his time with it. It's ve- it's a very good like build up to kind of like eight mile ish, where the guy kind of has a really good rap, and then uh, he kind of immediately undercuts it and just builds off it really nicely. The first one is easily the best one, and you you can definitely see that that's like Lin Manuel's sweet spot is those those battles i mean i i love the line um uh god i just had it in my head um sitting there useless is two shits come here bend over i'll show you where my shoe fits yeah like i think it's such a fun just a fun battle it's great yeah, yeah. What, what does he start with like that that was tough that was a nice declaration blah, 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 blah. we're building a real nation is just a great yeah. way into it yeah, uh, I, I should say I left I left the first song Alexander Hamilton off my list uh, because it's I mean you all everyone knows it I didn't want to talk about it anymore but it's it's probably truly my real number one it is it's my what got me into this musical like that first number just is stupendous and incredible and yeah. I think so much has been said about it. When when I listened to the soundtrack, it was easily my favorite song on it. It did not make my top three, almost kind of like what you're saying. And there's just two, there's two other things that, two other songs that I just need to give credit to. Yeah, I I tried to go a little more unique, a little more personal here. But Alexander Hamilton is a fucking banger. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's such a good song. So for number three, I chose, and I'm not, I, I didn't go back to the soundtrack to see which song this actually lies in. But it's the end of Bursar and the beginning of my shot when you're introduced to John Lawrence and Lafayette and Hercules Mulligan and Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr walk into the bar and they're just doing this like modeled off of like freestyle rap where it's just them beatboxing and pounding on the table in rhythm and it's just incredible character intros for three of the best characters in this musical i mean david diggs as lafayette is outstanding uh uh, what's his name anthony ramos as john lawrence is terrific and uh you'll have to help me with this actor's name i don't i'm not sure i'm gonna say it correctly but the gentleman who plays hercules mulligan yeah i won't say it correctly (laughs) i'm at least gonna attempt just because he deserves some credit he's awesome 100 percent. yeah his energy is phenomenal oki arete on a dowan i think uh, as Hercules Mulligan, like the voice on that dude is outstanding, and it's such a good contrast to to the group of of guys they have going on there. They could easily be like a rap supergroup. Like it, it, it's it's just so awesome, and uh, and Alexander Hamilton's entrance into it is fucking outstanding and so badass. So, um, I 
in that moment, it's one of my favorite like calls to current day New York. Uh, when they go in with Showtime, Showtime, uh, I'm John Lawrence, and the that opening. Um, anybody who's ever lived in New York and has ridden the subway consistently knows the Showtime guys mm-hmm. who like jump on the train and just start saying Showtime, Showtime, and then they do dances and raps. They put on music. They like basically almost kick you in the face, um, <laughs> but don't. You just have to be aware. But I love that that as like that's who these guys are. They walk into a place and they overtake a space and, and they over, they overwhelm the space that they're in. And I, I just love that little call to New York that he does. Yeah. Good Good call. Of Sam Adams, but I'm working on three. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> All right. That was number three. Number two, what do we got? Number two for me. Um, I have a feeling it may be, on other people's lists in different places. Mm-hmm. Um, but my number two is Room Where It Happens. Sure. Um, I have a feeling that we may go into it a lot as well, but um, it's just the best villain song. It is so <laughs> it is so good as the bad guy song. I mean, him him twirling around that space and just the desperation that he has, the anger that he has that you, you see and you feel through him. Uh, it is, it is so, so powerful. And Leslie Odom Jr. is just unmatched. Like he, he just owns every bit of it. Yeah, undoubtedly. I, I mean, you're totally right. It being like the best villain song. It's it's the best villain song since Be Prepared, like or exactly. or actually, yeah. uh, uh, Princess and the Frog has a pretty good villain song too. But I'm just not as familiar uh, with yeah. that movie. But Be Prepared is like the last one that really I was like, this villain song rules. And Rumor It Happens is just blows it out of the water because it's a longer song and it's you know a little more musical. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's amazing. I will. I will be touching on room where it happens further down the line. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Brad, you're number two. Uh, I have a feeling this is going to be maybe Carly's number one. Um, oh boy. I, I tried to make these personal. And now I think I, you guys are about to both say my next two picks. I, I, I mean, <laughs> go, ahead. go ahead, Brad. Yeah. I, I mean, it's to me, it's satisfied is, num- is my number two. Um, Renee Elise Goldsberry. Um, I, I remember seeing like Lin Manuel Miranda was interviewed, and he was basically saying like when they were trying to cast that role, they brought in so many people who just couldn't hit it, and it was like him banging his head against the wall, or like they needed somebody special who could just like nail the rap, nail the singing, nail all of it, and she nails all of it. It is. I mean, she won a Tony. It's, I mean, she's great throughout, obviously, but it is for that song in general. And to have this song, and I'm, I know Carly will probably touch on this more if I assume, um, to have a song, the, the lead in, and to have this kind of this other perspective on a wedding and to like kind of see it play out in this different way from this different angle is brilliant. And the heart, you know, the, 
the heartbroken sister and her side of the story is just all so good. And when she goes into that whole rap, she just kills it. It is so good. It is so well written. She nails every nuance of it. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, I'm yeah. so with you. This is also my number two. Boom. But I actually wrote down that it's I, I it's mostly satisfied, but I pair it with helpless because I I mean I agree with everything you said about Renee Elise Goldsberry. I have that all written down as well. So I'll I'll leave that to you. I'm sure Carly will touch on that more. But I'll, I'll kind of focus on I love not only the performances and everything, but the way that it works in this musical. Um to watch helpless from a different perspective and like going kind of backwards through it and it's so unique and so creative, but then like you go, well, why are we getting Angelica's story? Like who cares if he ends up marrying Eliza or I mean, who he ends up marrying Eliza? Why do we care what Angelica was thinking during this until you find out that they kind of, you know, have this lifelong correspondence and, and relationship. And when that comes back around with, uh, like take a break, I think is when you, when she comes back into the story, it's, it, I mean, it all just like clicks together and it's so good. And yeah, the back to back punch of, of those two songs, which traditionally are neither one of my favorite kinds of songs in musicals because of the performances, mostly of, of Renee Elise Goldsberry and Satisfied, but also Philippa Sue and Helpless are, are just awesome. And it starts with the, uh, the guys going, uh, we're popular with the ladies. <laughs> hey, 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 which is, hey. I love that part so much. It, it brings a smile on my face every time. Yeah, so that is my number one. <laughs> Go for it. Um, I figured that would be yeah, We can just roll right just, into number one. We can all bit. talk yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I pair it with Helpless as well. I do Helpless and Satisfied as kind of the same scene as we are replaying the scene throughout both of those songs um which what a what a feat to show an entire relationship courtship and like wedding in one song and then rewind it and then do it again it is i think it's so brilliant and the difference between what philippa sue does and what Renee Goldsberry or Renee Elise Goldsberry does. They pair so beautifully as Philippa Sue is, and Lynn Manuel has said it in a in quite a few interviews. She is like the heart of this cast. He was like, we had to find somebody who was just so kind and loving and sweet, and that is exactly who this woman is. And you listen to Helpless, and just the way that she sings about something that could be viewed as kind of a negative if you're helpless to somebody that could be negative but to do it in such a way that she's like I'm just so in love with this man I am so bowled over all the time about what he is and who he is and then to have it switch over and have Renee Elise Goldsberry her song basically say everything that you see in him is not that he is he is eight million other things and also all of those you can be in love with and I am in love with. And I, I, you know, it's, it's one of the only times that we really don't see anything from Hamilton's perspective um, or Burr's perspective as both of them are usually the storytellers. And I just love seeing 
seeing this. Yeah. And staged uh, immaculately too. I mean, when helpless is going on, you can see the events of satisfied going on in the parts that are not under the spotlight. It's pretty oh, yeah. awesome. Like that's what I get. Like that's the benefit of watching this multiple times is seeing those little things, which I, I saw more than I've almost ever seen on this viewing. Cause I was, I just never really paid too, too much attention to the background because I've been so captivated with where the camera wants your eyes to go the whole time. Uh, that this sure. time I actually kind of let my eye wander around the frame a little more. And I was uh, it's just pleasantly surprised with everything I found. I mean, the choreography is flawless in both of those songs. I mean, it, it is pretty much throughout the entire film. Right. Um, but the to have to rewind and then do it all exactly as you just did it is a phenomenal feat that all of these actors perfected. It's It's really, really cool. Well, Brad, I think you and I might have the same number one here. Yeah, Room Where It Happens is my number one. Go for it. Uh, I mean, we, you know, it, great villain song. I, I mean, for whatever reason, when he when he sings Hold Your Nose and Close Your Eyes as he, like, runs over to that table and kicks <laughs> his feet up on it, I love it. Um, the last shot of him in silhouette uh, is awesome. Um, Leslie Odom Jr. overall, I, I, like, I guess I'll, just because we've talked about it, I mean, having Aaron Burr be the narrator of this show is such a brilliant concept. And Leslie Odom Jr. just throughout this movie, as he's narrating, is just like so angry throughout and just like smiling with this like rage in his face as he's performing. It's such a brilliant job to fully embody like every, like he's like sing again. It's kind of like the King George thing. He's like singing these more upbeat songs, these more upbeat things, but he's just like so enraged in, in the performance while still doing it with a smile on his face that it's just, it's just a phenomenal, phenomenal performance. Uh, almost unlike anything I've seen on stage and certainly room where it happens is just the icing on the cake for, for that performance. Yeah. I'm with you 100%. I, I really have nothing else written down for it other than everything you guys have said about it already. It's awesome. It's my favorite part of the musical. And uh, I, the last thing I'll say is that I I love when Leslie Odom Jr. hits that just molasses slide of, I want to be oh. in the room where it happens. Oh, yeah. When, when it, it gets like real motion, soft. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Everything goes into slow motion. And it's just Oof. like... Oh, that but that eye like that he does is so just like oh my god it, it's this it's the smoothest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> yep, and the 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 uh, dancing all around him like the slow motion and it just all like comes so in uh, you know inward at that point for lack of a better term. And what a good specific jealousy. Yeah, of wanting to be in the room where the decisions are made. I also want to do just an honorable med honorable mention to wait for it for Leslie Odom Jr. because Wait For It is also just one of my favorite songs in this musical. I think it is Hamilton's stars from Les Mis. Like it's mm. it's the song that you understand the the difference between your hero and your villain where he talks about I, I'm willing to wait for it. You're supposed to wait for things to happen. And Hamilton's whole thing is like, I'm not throwing away my shot. I'm going for it. I'm going to go and take it every single chance that I get. And the fact that Aaron Burr is like, but 
but I've always been taught to just wait. Yeah. Wait and good things will happen to good people. And I, I think it's phenomenal as well. Yeah. And then Hamilton throws it back in his face later. It's like, yeah. Nothing, nothing's going to happen wait, if you wait for it. Wait for it. Oh, yeah. Wait. He's such a dick. All right. Well, this is going to be interesting. So if there's a best scene, that means, uh oh. There's a worse scene. Boy, I feel like I've been saying this a lot recently, but this was really, really tough for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm gonna... I disagree. <laughs> that there, I disagree that there has to be a worse well, scene. Well, here's where this is going to get really interesting, Carly, because my number three is wait for it. Now, I have to just say, I have to defend this, though. I had to pick something. So that's, that is my third something. Um, and it's not the song and it's not the performance because I love the song and I love Leslie Adams Jr.'s performance. All I'm saying is that in a movie or musical about Hamilton, if I had to cut something, I would cut this slightly ancillary Burr backstory song. Hmm. That's all. Yeah. That is literally the only. I, I was struggling to find something to put down as my third thing. I struggled for I my it. two thing, and honestly, my I one thing is very weak. I disagree with you for all the reasons that I've already said. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I disagree with me for all the reasons you said. <laughs> so, moving on to maybe something more relevant. Number three. My number three. It's. It's basically. And I and I know exactly why it has to be, um, but it's Anthony Ramos as Philip. Um, <laughs> yeah, sure, that's good one. Like, good one. That, like good I one. totally, I I totally understand why it has to be, because everybody plays multiple roles. So I I'm not begrudging it, but it is it is something that like he even seems to make fun. like there everybody knows that it's a joke. They're all kind of poking fun at the idea that he just like becomes his son is like daddy daddy look my name is philip i am a poet See, and he still fun, kills though. it yeah but he still kills it and it's still very fun but that's the only thing that i'm like yeah that he still does a great job but it's pro it's it's one of my least favorite things yeah. i guess yeah it's a little Which silly also, it's a little silly it is they let it get a little silly but i think that's what sells it but funny enough, it doesn't Absolutely. undercut the emotion later when he dies and they have to do um, set him by his side, set him by his side. What is that song well, called? Uh, uh, it's Quiet Uptown. Yeah. 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 And that's like, that um, but, song breaks my fucking heart. <laughs> well, that's also, I mean, the reason that they do it too is because he goes from being like a six-year-old kid or a nine-year-old kid Oh, yeah. to a 19-year-old. So when he dies, he's 19. And I'm, and I believe Anthony Ramos is a 19-year-old. Sure. But, um, but it's that like little bit in the beginning when he's supposed to be uh, a, a, a child. Yeah. Which, again, I still love it. Right. <laughs> sure. Uh, Let's I, let that caveat just lay yeah. over the rest yeah. of this. We, <laughs> have to keep we all love yeah. it. We got it. <laughs> Um, yeah, because yeah, actually that's a good uh, play in for my number three, which um, it's quiet uptown um, is a beautiful song, especially everything Renee Elise Goldsberry does. Lin-Manuel crying, cry, trying to sing while crying throughout it. And I'm, I'm going to come down on him a little hard here, but he's just outclassed. Like, it, it's not 
bad. It's not like unwatchable by any means. And he's and he does a decent enough job of like making believe making me believe the emotion. But just when you're sitting when it's him, Philippa Sue and and Renee Elise Goldsberry, and they're both just like crushing it because they crush everything. And him like crying, trying to sing while crying, it doesn't it's not the best. So if I'm gonna critique this, which like we said, it's great, but that is always something that's a little eye roll worthy. Okay, well, number two, mine is Lin Manuel's acting performance. Again, he does good. It's just he is a little outclassed amongst everyone else. And that's sure. it. And that's all. That's really all it is. I'm just like, all right, that's that's my number two. My number two is the Charles Lee, just Charles Lee, <laughs> the guy who plays Charles Lee. I'm a general. Wee. Oh, um, yeah. Even though, like, I think I think the actor does well as as a chorus member, and I think he just he really is trying to stand up to all of these really heavy hitters who are acting their butts off, and he he just pushes. <laughs> he pushes a lot. Um, and it's just like, it's a very different energy than what everybody else has on stage. And it doesn't necessarily mesh as well as I would like it to. Yeah, I can buy that. More on that later. Number two for me, oh. um, again, and, and kind of like what Chris said, it's it's the Lin-Manuel thing. I'm going to specify again in Dear Theodosia, when you have, it's this gorgeous lullaby that Leslie Odom Jr. just sings so beautifully. And then you have Lin-Manuel try to come in and like, you know, it's a duet between the two of them. And again, just terribly, terribly outclassed. It's not that, it's not like it's bad, but when you have like one of the greatest singers alive singing next to you, and then you have in this gorgeous lullaby and then trying to have Lin-Manuel step in and match it, it just doesn't, he just can't. So really like the song, really love Leslie Odom Jr. in it. It's a beautiful song, but again, Lin-Manuel just falls a little short. Okay, here it is. Number one, what do we got? More Lin-Manuel? We're going we're gonna to really... Uh, I'll get mine out of the way. A bit of cleaners. <laughs> I'll get mine out of the way real quick just because it, it's basically Lee, Lee, just like Carly said. I mean, I specify the one th- in the Ten Dual Commandments. He is trying so hard. And the way he says the word adrenaline bugs the shit adrenaline. out of me. Adrenaline bugs me so much. <laughs> I can't get over it. I've seen it so many times. I want to get past it. But just the way he says adrenaline is trying so fucking hard. And it comes off like he's trying too hard. So that every time I see this, I always have these three things like. I like them well enough, but they're all, they're like the top three things that when I've watched this movie kind of make me laugh. It's like, yeah, not, not, not quite hitting it. Yeah. And 10 dual commandments is cool too. Real cool. Yeah. yeah real great. cool. My worst scene, my number one worst scene. And I, again, I know why it's there. I understand it. <laughs> I get it. The intermission minute. Hmm. Interesting. Just thrown in the intermission. We have a pause button. I love the movie. Keep going. Keep on going. Roll on through. I understand it. 
it's a live performance. There is actually an intermission at that point, but I don't need it. If yeah. I were to, if there was something that I thought was superfluous in the movie, that's probably it. Yeah, it's also yeah. not a three and a half. It's a two hour and 40 minute movie. Like you rarely get intermissions in those movies where like you get one in Sound of Music because it's three and a half hours or whatever the hell it is. Yeah, but sometimes I think it could be the director saying, hey, I want you to take a minute and take a break and like reflect take on something break. for a little bit. Take a break. Hmm? Uh, well, and like kind of reflect well, and, and you know, almost maybe even Brechtian. Like, hey, remember, you are in a play. I mean, yeah. they are doing it in the bare bones, you know, stats and everything. Again, I, I know exactly why they do it and I appreciate it actually, but if I... Yeah. If I had to choose a worse thing, it's the thing that nobody does. The 60 seconds that aren't <laughs> Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hard to argue. Basically, yeah. Yeah, yeah. My number one is something, it's like maybe my first pet peeve of this musical. And I know it's nobody else's because I've brought this up to many people. But it's when they say 1776, New York City. I just think it's so a little lazy for a musical that is so well written. Like the book is so well written and you could have just had a character in like rapping and mentioned that it's in New York or like we're here in New York or like, I would have liked that better than just the whole cast doing a very conventional uh, and all, I think very cheesy musical transition, like 1776 New York city. I, I just, uh, Every time they do it, I just go, ah, <laughs> like, and I know it doesn't really bother many people, but that's my number one. And it's literally been the, since the first time I listened to the soundtrack, I was like, huh, okay, maybe that plays better on stage. So I have a question. Are you just mad at the first one that they do? Or are you mad at all the times that they mention the dates? Because um, they only mention New York City Some in the are first better one. than others. I don't, like... I, I do also count among these moments like 22,000 ships in New York Harbor. I like that one. Yeah. I mean, that was not as like egregious. But because it's but, sung so a little the, more, I guess. I don't know. But, but also, here's a question. Now, you're saying I'd rather have somebody just say it or rap it. I mean, well, they are. I think They're cleverly <laughs> written into a rap. I just can't off the dome come up with <laughs> okay. some good example rap of, you know. Blah 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 yeah. blah. And I'm here in New York, and then blah 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 blah, and something that rhymes I mean, in New York. I mean, I think I I agree. They they do mention New York a lot, and the like directly following mentioning sure. that. So maybe they don't need to say the New York City, but I do like because they jump timelines so often that they do let you know what year you're in, so you know it's you're not it's not 15 minutes later. Right, right, <laughs> of is, course, yeah. Seven years. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I appreciate the convention. I'm just saying, and again, it's because I have to choose something. Right. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a damn, damn fine film and a damn oh. fine musical indeed. So good. Well, guys, here we are. <laughs> That's right. It's time for Milking It. Our favorite game to pay, play on the podcast. We're going to roll out the big computer of Hollywood Ideas 2000 here in just a moment, and it's going to supply us with the information we need to continue. First, it's going to give us a pitch time, for this is a movie pitch game. 
You'll either be provided with a elevator pitch, a 30-second pitch, a water cooler pitch, giving you one American minute, or a boardroom pitch, giving you 90 seconds, a minute and a half, to get out an idea for a new movie uh, based on a twist of the film we just watched, Hamilton. Coincidentally, that'll be the second piece of information said computer gives to each one of us. A genre, an actor, a director, someone, some component of a major motion picture that we will use to anchor and guide our decisions. We'll need a title and a quick summary from each one of us at the end of this shindig. So, let's get out the old big computer of Hollywood Ideas 2000 and fire her up. Okay, I have the results here. Oh, I'm going first. I have the elevator pitch. And it looks like, oh, I, I have a director attached to my project already. And it's my old pal, Wes Craven. Ah, oh, your best Nightmare bug. on Elm Street uh-huh. fame. Yeah, okay. Wes Craven's Hamilton. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, Carly, you're up next. You, you have the water cooler pitch. 60 seconds, one American minute. Oh, this is this is quite intriguing as well to do the prequel to Hamilton. Ooh, all right, okay, all right, all right, all right. Yeah, and Brad, that leaves you with the boardroom pitch. Uh, Ninety seconds to do Hamilton. Ooh, a classic American genre for a classic American tale, a western. Ah, okay, all right, all right, got Sound it. Sound good. Sounds great. We're going to take a moment to gather our thoughts and we'll be right back with three brand new movies for your listening enjoyment right after this. All right, we're back right in the middle of milking it for Hamilton. Oh boy. This just keeps getting more and more interesting because I'm starting things off with the elevator pitch. That's 30 seconds to get out. Hamilton as directed by Wes Craven. So, here we go. Elevator doors are closing. Ugh, hold on, I gotta get myself together. I have a lot to say here. Mm. Elevator doors are closed. A group of teens, desperate for somewhere to drink and smoke and do a little necking, go to an old haunted meadow by a river where, legend has it, many people were killed in duels. Well, night falls and our main character finds himself separated from his friends and is confronted by the old ghost skeleton of Alexander Hamilton. Think like Crypt Keeper looking, but in, you know, colonial gear. Um, who through ghost magic, uh, curses and transports our hero back through time and into the body of Hamilton, have, making him live through uh, the, the death of loved ones, war, and ultimately experiencing death itself when he gets shot by Burr. Can our hero change history before it's too late? In Wes Craven's second shot at death. All right. All right. All yeah, right. That's nice. Nice. Yeah. 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 Kind of started uh, thinking and maybe it could be like that... Uh, Kennedy, uh, Stephen King adaptation that they did with uh, James Franco. Oh, 1963? Uh, is that what that was? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, um, 11.23. Oh, yeah, yeah. 63. Uh, 63, yeah. yeah. It is Carly's turn. One American minute for the water cooler pitch for the prequel to Hamilton. Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Grab your Dixie cups. Here comes the water. 
Go. All right. So think uh, Oliver Twist. Think Newsies. It's a musical about a young kid, uh, a child who is from Scotland, who is moved to the Caribbean with his mother and father. And uh, they are destitute, very, very poor, very, very poor. Um, at 10 years old, his father abandons them, just leaves he and his mother. Um, we see them struggle and try and try and maintain a place in society. At 12, his mother and him get very sick. His mother dies. So now he is left on his own. Uh, he starts or he moves in with his cousin. Then his cousin commits suicide. He's just surrounded by death. It's terrible. At 14, he starts to work for his mother's landlord, uh, trading sugarcane and all the things he can't afford. Um, and then he uh, he's watching his slaves get bought and sold, and he decides that he needs to make a change in the world. So he starts reading. He picks up every book that he can get his hands on, starts reading and reading and writing, and uh, everybody sees the work that he's putting in. So a collection is made to get him to mainland America. And the last shot that we see is his ship pulling into the harbor. The movie is called just you wait oh good title real good title it's a really good title nice that's so much better so much better than my title uh very nice brad are you gonna disappoint the (laughs) boardroom executives yeah probably okay Um, well it's your old-fashioned western yeah in front of the boardroom execs okay a minute 30 on the clock you ready yes tell them what's what So we're in a small western town that's been run by the evil George King gang for a long time. The town is fed up with it, but just can't figure out a solution to get them out of town. Sheriff Aaron Burr uh, isn't very helpful, and his whole mindset is just keep your head down, just do what you're doing, and we'll find a way to, like, get through this. But there's really, like, no proactive uh, thing we could do. That is until the Alexander Posse comes to town. Uh, and they say that we don't have, to, they tell everyone you don't have to live like this. And it's, it's him, uh, you know, the, the four of them, Lafayette, Anthony Ramos, and Hercules Mulligan, <laughs> or John Lawrence. Um, <laughs> so Burr's trying to convince uh, Alexander, the Alexander Posse, not to ruffle any feathers, just kind of like, let this go. We've kind of been living like this for a while. It's fine. Like, it's it's not the best, but it's better than... Causing a stir, of course, the Alexander Posse does, does eventually drive the George King gang out of town. And then uh, Alexander decides that he's going to run for sheriff because he hates how Sheriff Burr has been running things. Uh, They end up having a duel to see who gets it. Burr unfortunately wins, but then everyone ends up hating him because he killed the man that ended up saving the town. And that town is the name of this movie, Hamiltown. (laughs) okay awesome hamilton yeah yeah sure could have called it like (laughs) duel at you know yeah whistle creek or whatever yeah there was there was other fun options but when i thought of hamilton it was just dumb enough i love it i did it that i was just like i'm gonna do it it's more fun hamilton Uh. That's great. 
Great job, everybody. That's how you milk it. I believe we just sold three more movies to the Hollywood studio system. So congratulations, everybody. Thank you. You can find them on Amazon Prime or Apple Plus or Disney Plus or HBO Max now. Well, guys, that's our show. We only have one last thing to do, and that's Brad Davis. You just watched Hamilton. What are you going to do next? I have to play a little catch up on some musical adaptations, actually. Um, I was going to originally say Chicago because I've never seen Chicago, but having heard, I've never seen Cabaret and having heard how much you love Cabaret and everyone loves Cabaret. I know. Um, Those are two that I should, that I'm going to prioritize as far as starting to try to catch up on some movie musicals. Get a little one, two Bob Fosse punch there. Looking for that punch. Yeah. They're both great. I recommend both highly. That's <laughs> what everyone's ever told me about them. <laughs> yeah. So I'm looking for that Fosse punch. There you go. <laughs> Fosse double punch. Double punch Fosse. <laughs> Carly Walsh, <laughs> you just watched Hamilton. What are you going to do next? I'm going to see it in the Heights. Um, <laughs> I know we already talked about it, but I'm very, very excited about it. Um it's going to be my first time in a movie theater since the world shut down. So I'm very, world turns upside very, down. very excited. The world turned upside down. Yeah. Uh, but that's what I'm going to do. Ah, that's great. Chris Maxwell, you just watched Hamilton. What are you going to do next? I think I'm going to watch La Queja Fall. I'm going to watch that. I- I've always wanted to. I've always wanted to see it. And uh, yeah, it's just one of those things. I've seen the birdcage, so it's just... Slip through the cracks, and uh, now, now it's going to be, what are you going to do next? I'm going to prioritize it. And guys, that's everything. Carly, thank you so much for doing the show. You're one of our favorite guests, and it was a pleasure to talk about this adaptation with you today. Thank you, guys. It was my pleasure. It's always a blast to be here and to talk movies with two experts in the field. Oh, well, yeah. Shots. Please. <laughs> BD, thank you as always, my friend. Thank you, sir. Always a pleasure. Uh, at BD Always GP on Twitter and uh, Instagram. And as always, check out Death at Sunset. First two seasons are available anywhere you can find your podcasts or Detective Noir, Sunshine Noir. Uh, we're very proud of it. So please check it out. He said it. Get on it. I'm at Cross Maxwell across your social media accounts. All right. We love you. Goodbye. My name is Tricky Dick Nixon and I am not a crook. Don't believe what they say in your history book. All my personal recordings, they subpoenaed, they took. But you can't arrest the president, so I am off the hook. If you want an interview, I respectfully decline. Because anything I tell you would make you lose your mind. And now I'm hearing rumors that they'll charge me with a crime. If you don't want my leadership, then fuck it, I resign. Middle fingers in the sky. Double them up, peace sign, I'm out. High on Film is a Maxwell Davis Productions podcast. Original music by Zach Pfeiffer. For more information, follow at High on Film on Twitter and Instagram or email the show at the High on Film Show at gmail.com. <laughs>